It follows us as we walk, like a shadow seeking to overtake us. It can be paralyzing, crippling when fear sets in. Fear of failure, fear of loneliness, fear of danger, fear of the unknown. We are aware that fear is close by, but we know our God is even closer. He walks with us. He never leaves us. The most repeated command in the Bible is do not be afraid. God knows that we will face it every day, but he gives us the courage to keep moving. He fills us with the strength and peace to know that he is greater than any fear that would try to hinder us. And when the night is closing in, he is already here with us, telling us, fear not. Sometimes easier said than done, right? Fear not. That's kind of the King James way of saying, do not be afraid. Fear not. How about if you just repeat that with me? You know how I like these words together? Fear not. Repeat that with me. Fear not. A little more enthusiasm. Fear not. Now pretend like you're an angel and you've just appeared to somebody that has no clue who you are and they're like terrified. What would you say? Fear not. All right. Yeah, well, that's kind of the Christmas story. You got these appearances of angels at the birth of Jesus. And as people see the angels, they are naturally frightened because of the awesome nature of angels. But they're also in a series of events that are causing them fear as well. And so it's a dual purpose of these fear knots. What's the word again? Fear not. Yeah. It might be a fun little exercise. Um, why, don't you, why don't you raise your hand if you um, care about what other people think? Now look around. If anybody didn't raise their hand, they might not have raised their hand because they care about what other people think. <laughs> that was a trick. That was a trick. <laughs> and that's kind of the specific fear that we want to drive home a little bit today because one of the key characters in the nativity, in the Christmas story, is Joseph. And it appears that part of his fear isn't just the appearance of an angel in a dream, it's the appearance and the uh, situation of fearing what people might think. Are you afraid of what people might think? Now, maybe it's your haircut, and you go home and say, honey, how's it look? You know, maybe it's uh, your clothes. I heard someone the other day, they were taking a selfie. And it's like, why do you have your hands so high? And they said, well, if I do it down here, I got four chins. If I do it up here, I only have two. I'm like, what? Yeah, because I care about how people read me, how, how I look to people. Isn't it fun when you hand someone a picture where they're in it? And they don't care about anybody else in the picture. They always go, oh, that's a good picture because it's a good picture of them. Now, everybody else might look creepy and yucky and they don't care. It's good of them. So it's good, right? You know, that's kind of the way we are about things. Um, recently, we traded in our 2000 minivan with 250,000 miles on it for another, it's actually a Buick uh, SUV that's only got 100,000 miles. That was a 2000 traded to a 2008. And part of our thinking, and it, it, it's kind of funny, 
for pastors. We drive in the parking lot. It's a nice looking rig. And somebody says, boy, we must be paying you too much. You know how that goes? You know, it's like you think about when you buy a new car, not just does it look good so you're, you're you know, feeling uh, proud, but does it not look too good, you know? Is that, is that kind of that thought of are we afraid of what people think and how it goes? Um, this especially affects our young people, doesn't it? Teenagers. When some of you were teenagers, probably there was just like one group in the high school. One group. As I was going through high school, it started to break into the, the jocks, you know, the athletes and the drug heads. And, you know, you started having different groups. And I was in a particularly dangerous group for me. And I decided to break out of that group. So back in our high school, we had junior high, which was just two grades, mid-high, which was two grades, and high school, which was two grades. Hillsboro was growing so fast, they couldn't keep everybody in one high school any longer. And as we were going from mid-high to high school, I wanted to break out of this dangerous group that was a lot about drugs and alcohol. And as I did, I kind of settled in my mind, nobody else is going to want me, so I'm pretty much settled the next two years, I'm going to be a loner. I'm going to be alone. None of these other groups are going to put up with my past. That's the kind of way kids think, you know. And uh, so it was like, I'm going to be, be alone. And I thought, okay, it's worth it. So I jumped into that uh, deal. Fortunately, just the opposite happened. Fortunately, uh, made tons of crossed friends. I was the one who <laughs> enjoyed going from group to group. And uh, it wasn't, uh, in fact, that's how I met my wife, Lydia, was because she wasn't going to look at me when I was in this bar group, but <laughs> as I was becoming uh, more committed to Christ and more uh, open growth, all of a sudden, God showed me amazing grace in that. But, you know, it still affects me. It still affects you, just the fear of what other people think. That's what happened in Joseph's case. He started to think as he was realizing Mary's situation, and it was like, okay, here I've got to deal with this. Here's how it starts. If you've got your Bibles, turn to it, or just look at it on the page I've provided. This is the beginning of the nativity narrative. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Somewhat what you got going on here is he's concerned about how things look how things will appear, what public disgrace there might be. What the, uh, can you imagine the conversation that Mary had to have with Joseph? Can you imagine having to explain to him, honey, I'm pregnant, but don't worry. I wasn't with another guy. 
This is of the Holy Spirit. It's like, yeah, never heard that story before, right? How long did it take you to make that one up, right? He had not yet been convinced that this was of the Holy Spirit. He had not yet been visited by an angel to convince him that this was what was going on. And so back then, you probably know the situation, engagements were very formal. They were usually a year to two years long, and you actually signed documents and you know, did a formal covenantal things for an engagement. So to break an engagement, and part of it was because the man had to go off and build a house for his bride. I mean, that's part of what happened is they literally built a place on their parents' property or on their house for their domicile. So as an engaged couple, to break an engagement took almost as if they would get a, a, a bill of divorcement. They would call it that. And if a spouse died when they were engaged, you'd actually call the surviving spouse a widow or a widower. I mean, it was that formal uh, of a case. And so in Joseph's mind, he had three options. I can divorce this woman. I can divorce her from this engagement. He thought, I can, um, I can marry her or I can um, see her stoned to death. Those were kind of the options. And uh, sometimes the divorce led to, it was a capital offense for someone to commit adultery, or in this case, fornication. It was a capital offense. You, you know, when they came to Jesus and they were ready to stone the woman to death for being caught in adultery? I mean, that was the standard. And so it was in his power to do. So what was driving him? What was um, motivating him? I mean, you're probably thinking it this way. She's either crazy for this stupid idea or she's a liar. And either way, would you want her for your wife? You know, if she's that crazy, she's made up this crazy idea, you know, what else is she going to come up with? And if he divorces her, his life is toast. From then on, if you divorce somebody in that process, no one else is going to, no other man out there is going to let you marry his daughter if you're already through a divorce. It just wasn't done. And so he's in a pretty big dilemma. And here's that phraseology. He did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had a heart for her. He had a love for her. But he had in mind to divorce her quietly. It'd almost be like people would send their daughters off to another city, even here through the United States, even here now in the Midwest sometimes. You send a girl off that gets pregnant to fulfill her pregnancy in some other city so that the town doesn't talk kind of thing. And that's, that's almost the way this is uh, appearing. But let's talk about for a little bit Joseph's lessons he learns, especially when it comes to fearing what other people think. Pleasing God, jot this down, often leads to disappointing people. Okay? You're going to please God. It might be in direct opposition to pleasing 
people. For often, there's a direct disagreement, a direct misunderstanding, different of opinion between pleasing God and pleasing uh, people. So Joseph's big first lesson is sometimes pleasing God will lead to not pleasing people. Here's the um, rest, some of that rest of that verse. But after he had considered this, so you know what he was saying, I'm going to put her away quietly. After he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And the angel said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. You know what that says in the King James? Fear not. What's the word again? Fear not. Fear not to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Would you repeat that part with me, too? Because he will save his people from their sins. One more time. He will save his people from their sins. So God has this amazing thing in store for him, and it's directly opposed to probably what people are going to think, what people are going to say, what people are going to uh, kid and tease and, and persecute him about. People won't always think that your um, desire to obey God is a good thing. They often will think it is foolish. But here, here's the idea. Fear not. Don't be afraid. In this case, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Now, he's probably going to be disappointing his, uh, his parents because he's marrying this unfaithful woman. You know? He's probably disappointing his friends and, and the rest of his family. He's probably um, disappointing his community. And so all this is kind of going into his, his mind and his heart, and yet this angel says, don't be afraid. So often that's what affects us when we want to uh, please God as opposed to disappoint uh, people. Fear was going to make him miss God's will. Fear was going to make him miss the opportunity to take her as his wife, to see her give birth, and to actually name him, name Jesus, the, his name. A couple of uh, truths here. Jot this down, at least put in the two blanks. Often, becoming concerned or obsessed or focused on what people think is the quickest way to forget what God thinks about you. If your focus is on what everybody else thinks about you, it's going to block in many cases, what God thinks about you. The focus is on the horizontal rather than on the vertical. We should get our uh, self-esteem. We should get our identity. We should get who we are and what we're about this way from God, not from people. Be very careful when it comes from people. Now, people often give feedback for our giftings, for, for, for how it's coming across, but don't mistake that for the origin of who we are and what we're about. Becoming concerned with what people think about you is the quickest way to forget what God is thinking about. So the choice is really yours. Who are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to God or are you going to listen to people? 
Um, the good news is the flip side of this. Being obsessed with or focusing on what God thinks is the quickest way to forget what people think. So if you're not, you're saying, I really want to focus on, when you focus on what God wants, people's opinion, people's concern is going to begin to decrease, begin to go down. How do you become obsessed with what God wants, with what God thinks? Let me just list a couple of ways. Worshiping, just like you're doing today. Worshiping God and exalting his name and lifting him up. It just showers you with the brand new focus of what does God think? These songs that our team has picked out for us today about the king, you know, they just do something to your heart. They just get your focus in the right area. Who cares what people think? Look what God has done for us. Sometimes it's through a small group. Sometimes it's through your own personal devotional time. All of which give us this focus, this obsession with what does God think? Is he pleased? What's his, what's his calling on my life? What's his demand? Um, the good news is that that focus is really for an audience of one. And he is so clear. For God so loved you that he gave his only son that if you believe in him, you might not perish, but have everlasting life. Just let that soak in every day more and more. Let it tumble over you and ex exclude what people think about you. So you can't please everybody. I mean, we learned that lesson when we're teenagers. You tell me you were learning that through your teenagers. You can't please everybody. You got to kind of pick. Who am I going to please? Now, and you pick, who, who, what do I fear the most? Do I fear the Lord? It's almost like you're saying, what do I value the most? Do I value the Lord and his opinion of me? Or what people say and think? Remember when Moses was uh, confronted with the burning bush and he was told he was going to go down to Egypt? It's funny to me because he starts bringing up, well, what, if, what are they going to say when I show up? down there. <laughs> the thing that Moses, he's looking and talking to the Lord in a burning bush that doesn't burn up. And he's telling him what he's, how he's going to use him. And what's key in Moses's mind is, well, what are they going to say? And he says, what if I fail? And he's got all these what ifs about people. Moses had a problem. His focus was pleasing people. And God wanted to turn him around. Just focus on me. Get the fear of what people think out of here. And God gives him some tools. He gives him a staff. He gives him all kinds of tools to overcome that. But isn't it interesting? He's not the only one. We're, we're not the only one that, that have that kind of a focus and a challenge and a problem. So a second lesson for Joseph is pleasing God often leads to your greatest fulfillment, your greatest fulfillment. And what I'm thinking about here is uh, what happened as he began to focus on what the angel said, focus on God, focus on God's plan. Pleasing God often leads to your greatest fulfillment. Here's what the scripture says. You are to give him the name Jesus. 
because he will. We repeated that together. Save his people from their sins. Yeah. So think about it for a minute. Here is Joseph. He has the opportunity as the dad, as the father, as the husband of Mary with this baby being born, even though he had not sired the child, to give him an eternal name. His greatest fulfillment came as he accepted the responsibility that God was laying on. So instead of following and pleasing people and having none of this, he got to be a part. I mean, think about it. As God's sharing this with him through this angel, he's beginning to see himself in the story of all eternity. He says, one thing I've been looking forward to in all of my life, all of us, all of Israel has been looking forward to this Messiah, and I get to have a part in seeing him. In fact, he's the one who um, raises him, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, he's the son of God, but earthly wise, <laughs> on the earth, he's the son of Joseph. Joseph has the chance to take this little baby and to watch him raised up in the Lord. The Bible says he went at eight days to the, down to the temple and was dedicated. He, he would go annually, the Bible said, to the temple to, to offer sacrifice and to worship God and to learn about him. At 12 years old, he was so astute in the scriptures. The Bible says he was sparring with the, uh, the leaders and the masters and the teachers and the rabbis in the temple. And they were amazed at how, why, and who did that? At least in part, Joseph had a chance to lay a, a, a claim to the shaping and the forming of Jesus, the son of God. Jesus the Messiah. Jesus, the son of Joseph, is Jesus, the son of God. How incredible. If you had the chance to adopt <laughs> the divine son of God, would you do it? Would you do it? Would you say, not in my house? You know, that's kind of scary. If you were the parent of what you knew, be the, of what you knew to be the Messiah, how would you respond and how would you react? It became Joseph's, we would say, claim to fame. It became Joseph's very essence of who he was and what he did. In fact, the, Jesus kept using carpentry terms. He kept using carpentry terms in his illustrations about building, a wise man builds his house. I mean, he kept using material that came from his earthly father, Joseph, as Jesus taught about the kingdom of God, you know? Isn't this the carpenter's son? And the word for carpenter there is master carpenter, almost like journeyman, you know? Isn't this the journeyman's son, the carpenter, Jesus of Nazareth? He had a chance to train up this young man to give him a base for his lessons. And so often, your greatest fulfillment will come not from pleasing people, but pleasing the Lord, pleasing God. You know, it's been a few years down the road now that uh, one of my great friends in Gig Harbor, Dale Frank, called, and he said, uh, Pastor Bruce, I've got this really great friend, and he just told me he wants to know what it means to become a Christian. Could I come down from Gig Harbor? He lives in Olympia. Could I come down from Gig Harbor, and maybe you and I can talk to him? Well, yeah, that's what we're here for. That's great. So we got to spend some time, and some of you know Don and Peggy Holman. 
He began bringing them every week. He'd drive all the way from Gig Harbor down here, worship with them, and spend time with them. One day, Don said, uh, I want to become a Christian. I now know what it means to follow Jesus. Can I become a Christian? We're like, yeah. So we got him through the baptistry. In fact, he's the one who we stood up here. We call him Mr. Absolutely. Because everything I'd ask him, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Absolutely. The Son of God, is he your Lord and Savior? Absolutely. Everything, you want to get baptized right now? Absolutely. It's like, you use any other words than absolutely? Absolutely. You know, it was just fun. It was just a blast. There's no young guy. No young guy. But his wife, Peggy, was kind of holding back a bit. Kind of holding back a bit. And I have permission from the family to, to share this, the back behind the scenes kind of thing with you. And uh, part of what was bothering Peggy was I get real embarrassed to get wet around people. You know, my hair and, you know, she was kind of, and she was thinking about this, what are people going to think about me? So I'm like, we can just do it with your family. It doesn't have to be a big group. You know, we're thinking about all those things. And she just kept, kept thinking about it. Kept, one day, here's how she said it to me. She said, I now want to get baptized and I want to be in front of everybody. You know why? I'm more interested in what God thinks of me than what people think of me. The very thing we're talking about. Now, I don't know how many others that have, have that situation where just the embarrassment or the public confession is embarrassed. Because people don't like to talk publicly. I mean, that's one of the big fears, fear of public speaking <laughs> that we have, you know. But when pleasing God... When pleasing God supersedes the discouragement, the, the, the fright that would come from people, oh, amazing things happen. She accepted Christ. Her, her, her son, Donnie, came down from uh, Auburn. We baptized her right here. She didn't say absolutely, but her husband did. <laughs> Donnie. And it uh, wasn't too long ago, did her funeral did her funeral over here at Mills and Mills. She didn't last but a couple of years after that. I'm so thankful. Now, I, I'm not over, overemphasizing the baptism, but I'm saying she just felt so much better pleasing God, putting the focus on him. It became, in a way, her greatest fulfillment of what God wanted. And it didn't stop with her. They began to witness to their granddaughter down in Renton. They began to witness to the granddaughter's new husband, starting to do Bible studies with him. It's like God began to use this elderly couple in amazing ways at the end of their days, at the end of their life. And pray for Don, because he's by himself now. He is a, he's a um, widower. Well... That sometimes happens. In this case, Joseph became the earthly father to the son of God. What an honor. And now had he put her away privately? Had he bowed to the fear of people? We'd never heard about him again. But because of that, we, 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 we are encouraged by him. So what do you do when you're living for God instead of for people? What happens when you're living for God instead of for people? Proverbs says, 
fearing people is a dangerous trap. Proverbs 29, 25. But trusting the Lord means safety. Fearing people is a dangerous trap. But living for God means safety, trusting in him. Let me say this. If you're not ready to be criticized for your obedience to God, you're not ready to be used by God. Folks, if you say, I'm going to please God and who cares about people, you'll be criticized. Be ready for it. It's going to happen. Another, uh, I'm thinking about, for some reason, my teen years. <laughs> um, my senior year, I was uh, able to be a um, collegiate wrestler, the high school level, did really well. And so my coach talked to uh, Oregon State and said, we want to get this guy a scholarship to come to wrestle at your school. And because I had some state championship uh, material there, they said, yeah. And so I made a decision to go to Bible college instead of to state university, to go a ministry route rather than a wrestling route. And I really wanted to go wrestle. But there was something inside that said, this is eternal, and this is temporary. And I took the road. Now, the one who I had the hardest time talking to was my coach. My coach who got me the scholarship. My coach who kind of got out on a limb, who kept encouraging me for all these years. I had to sit down and say, and he goes, you're What? No way. And it was displeasing to him, this route I was going. But I had clear confirmation that I was going the right direction. But it was hard. Displeasing people. It's not ever easy. But when you put that, I was criticized because I was going to be going in a certain direction. But you've got to get yourself ready. If you're going to go God's way, you will receive criticism. What did Jesus say? <laughs> they criticized me. They persecuted me. How could they not persecute you? Be ready for it if you're going to go God's way. Extraordinary acts of God often start with ordinary acts of obedience. When you obey the Lord, things, amazing things get put into place. With the little boy's lunch, the little boy's lunch turns into the feeding of the 5,000. How? Little obedience leads to great and extraordinary acts and extraordinary things. See, the savior of the world was born when two teenagers said yes to God. You know, Mary and Joseph, or at least two young adults. They didn't know the details. They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know how it was going to work. They just knew they had a public pregnancy going here. Think about the way they were going to be criticized, but they went through it instead of around it. Sometimes you have no idea when you put yourself out there, when you obey the Lord, when you please the Lord. I mentioned uh, Dale's invitation to Don and, Don and Peggy. Who are you inviting? Who, you don't know when you make an invitation. Hey, what are you doing Christmas Eve? Come and worship with us. Hey, we're having home. We're going to do a parade. Do something. Hey, young people, we're going to go hang out at the camp. You don't know what happens when you just put out the invitation 
and encourage somebody. Invite somebody. Let them be encouraged by you. You have no idea how it's going to go. When you uh, sign up to serve, when you sign up to serve. Now, we're at a low ebb right now, but some of you, you jump into the, the, the fray and you sign up on a serving team, God's going to change you. God's going to revolutionize your life. Sometimes the uh, ordinary acts of obedience have an amazing reward. When uh, 14 years ago, we were renting this room, it was a gymnasium at the time, it had basketball hoops in it, mini gym. And uh, we were renting it for just birthday parties. They, they gave it to us very uh, inexpensively for us. We had no idea that the door was going to open, that the pastors and his associate would call me and say, hey, we're thinking about selling our building. You want to buy it? Did you put it on the market? No. We just know you love to use it for the Lord's work. We want to we move. Do you want to use it? Like, how, how does that happen? Little invest, little opportunities, utilizing a facility to bless the Lord ends up turning into a, a, a place that we can, with God's help, purchase and be a part of and use for the community. Who would guess that little dinky utilization would turn into something so big? Sign up, be a part, let him use you. You know, it looked pretty foolish when uh, Abraham left Ur and people said, where are you going? Where are you going? Well, I don't know. I'm going to a place that God's going to show me. Does that look foolish? No. When Abraham leaves the house with his son, Isaac, where are you going? I'm going to go sacrifice my son. Talk about looking foolish. No. What about when Noah's building the boat? You know, if you're Noah and you spend 100 years building a boat, you look so foolish. Are you pleasing people or pleasing the Lord? See, if you're going to go the route of be ready for criticism, be ready for question marks, and be ready that this small obedience starts little by little, you might become the laughing stock but God will make you a part of the program, a part of the plan. Let's do this last one here. Pleasing God often leads to your fear. It should just be your fear turning to courage. Your fear, when you obey, when you step out, something happens to your, your spirit, your heart. God gives you an extra measure of his courage and encouragement in your heart. And, and that's what happens. It turns fear to courage. See, I, I don't think faith is necessarily the absence of fear, but it's pressing through the fear. It's trusting God in spite of the fear. It's allowing God to give you courage in the midst of that. Now, here's the uh, way Joseph did it. Here's how it ends up for Joseph. When Joseph woke up, underline this, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He fulfilled what the angel said to do. And he took Mary home as his wife. He had no union with her until she gave birth to his son. And he gave him what? The name Jesus. 
He did the very thing, including naming him. See, that was the father's job back then. I mean, mothers could have some input, but <laughs> it was the father's job. And often they didn't know until they were into the process what the baby's name was going to be. And so Jesus was predicted to be his name and fulfilled by Joseph. See, this simple act of obedience, taking Mary to be his wife. Number one, took her as his wife. Number two, he stayed pure. There was no uh, intimate relationship with her until the baby was born. And number three, he named his son what God told him to name him. And Jesus would be that name. Now, what's really interesting is uh, because of taxation, they had to leave town while she was pregnant. You know how I was talking about sometimes you put a pregnant woman into another community so that there's not question marks? And then, even though they come back to Jerusalem to, uh, at the eighth day mark and they're around, pretty soon, before too long, they have to escape to Egypt. We don't know how many years they're in Egypt, but for quite some time. So all of the things he might have been worried about, the neighbors saying, people thinking, God took care of those too. Are you catching that? He wasn't hanging around the same neighborhood through the process of her giving birth. They didn't even have the baby in the same community. God took care, and he always does. God often leads your fear to turn to courage. And that's what Joseph had. In fact, the angel kept appearing to Joseph over and over and over. He told him to, 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 to take Mary, but he also told him to get out of town. He told him to go to Egypt. That, uh, the the, the um, lives were being threatened, that their life was going to be feared. Remember what Jesus learned about Fear. This Matthew teacher, this Matthew portion, leads us to know that Joseph taught his son about peace. He taught his son to give us peace and to not be afraid. Jesus said, my peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I don't give you the, what the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And in the King James, it says the same thing. Fear not, fear not. Jesus passed on the same message that the angel had given his dad, <laughs> Joseph had given his son, and now his son is giving to us. I want to encourage you. I'm giving you peace that the world cannot give. Fear not. Here's the uh, New Living translation of that same passage. I'm leaving you with a gift peace of mind and heart and a peace that I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. I don't need to tell you that 2020 has been a year filled with lots of fear. It's been a, a year filled with uh, the media trying to create as much fear as possible inadvertently to keep our interest and keep their ratings. So we have had a fomenting of fear in our midst. Not necessarily just the fear of people and what people think, but fear in lots of different ways. Fear of finances, fear of losing our, our jobs. And, and, and notice a couple of these things. God did not give us a spirit of fear. 
but of power and of love and self-control. So when fear takes over in your life and you feel that spirit of fear, know that it's not from God. Jesus is the one who trained this disciple, the Apostle Paul. Jesus is the one who passed on this fear not. And he said, in, through, through, through Paul's words, don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. Don't be troubled. God did not give us this spirit of fear. John Wesley, the, uh, in the 1700s, was a traveling preacher, a circuit-riding preacher. And he once said, I've never gone more than 15 minutes with fear in my heart. Someone asked him, he said, well, how have you accomplished this? He said, I just close my eyes and remember God is still in control. Didn't you ladies just study that book recently? God is, got this, you know? And he said, when I think about God having it in control, the fear and anxiety leaves me. Oh, what a good lesson. I like that Bob Newhart uh, act where he says, just stop it. Just stop it, you know. <laughs> I have a fear of being buried in a box. Well, stop it, you know. And uh, it's like, no, don't just stop it. Put your focus on pleasing God. Put your focus on trusting the Lord. Put your focus on letting his influence grow in your heart. In fact, uh, here is a secondary thing for you to think about. This apostle who said God didn't give us a spirit of fear, he's the one who said, I become all things to all men so that by the grace of God, I may win a few. Now, now he's, he's not saying I want to become like other people so they'll accept me. You know, that's fear of people and what they're thinking. What Paul said is exactly the opposite. I am so comfortable in who God's called me to be, I will, in some cases, chameleon my life so that I can win you to Christ. He says, to the weak, I became weak so that I could win the weak to the Lord. To the Jew, I became a Jew so I could win the Jew to the Lord. To the barbarian, I became a barbarian so I could win them to the Lord. Not to please them, but for outreach sake, for pleasing God by letting our identity not be wrapped up in who we're with, that's changeable. That's differing. That's chameleon. What would never change is who we are in God. So that's why it's such a good trait, a good um, uh, strategy for us that we would become all things to all people that by the grace of God we might win a few. One or two more verses here. I just want to mention this. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from what? All my fears. Fear of people may be your last one. We're going to talk about some others in the next week or two. But what is it that God's calling on you? He will save his people from their sins and he will save his people from their fears. Okay? So think about it for this Christmas. Are you hearing a fear not? Are you hearing the Lord declare for you, do not fear what man may do to you? Do not fear the circumstances of this life. Do not fear what people might think of you or what might overwhelm you. God's got a plan. God's given you his, his leadership overall. So as we 
conclude today? What's God using in your life to say, fear not? What is, it his, what is his direct call? Do you think back? What is it on this season, on, on this year, that's been most fear-producing in you? Let God use that phrase, fear not, just like he did with Joseph, just like he does with all of us. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, he said, Jesus said, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Do not be afraid. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your provision that you take uh, the very things that cause us fear and you turn those into courageous opportunities for us to follow you. Lord, turn us into not people pleasers, but God pleasers. Show us ways this season where you want to use our lives in better, different, and, and fearless ways. Change us, Lord, through your Holy Spirit. Be our first, our last. Be our alpha, our omega. Be the beginning and the end, because we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.